Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOT. And this week, we're going over UFC Vegas 44, headlined by Rob Font and Jose Aldo in a pivotal bantamweight scrap that should really tell us a lot about Rob Font and especially where Jose Aldo is at, especially after a career best performance against Pedro Munoz back in August. Uh, a great co-main event between two vicious strikers, between Rafael Fiziev and Brad Riddell. Very much looking forward to that fight, but I can't wait to break these fight downs with the guests I'm about to bring on for you guys as well. Again, trying to keep the quality of guests as best as I can, and I feel like I reeled in a big one this week, and I can't wait to break it down with him. So without a further of ado, we got the Factory X headmaster over there, Mr. Mark Montoya. Mark, how's it going, brother? Good, guys. How are you? It's, uh, it's a pleasure being on. Thanks for having me on. I'm actually sitting here in eastern Colorado, um, getting ready to do a little pheasant hunting with my son and a uh, good friend and his son. So Take a little time out here, man, and uh, bust this out with you. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. And I greatly appreciate you making this a priority to come on and break down these fights for us. I know you love your pheasant hunting and all that. We were discussing a little bit before we jumped on live here. Do you have a goal this weekend? Like, are you trying to nab a couple? Like, what's normally the goal when you come into a pheasant hunting weekend? Well, the goal is to have a good experience. I mean, I I grew up doing this. I grew up uh, hunting and fly fishing. Obviously, I'm... I'm a fourth generation Colorado, and so my my I have deep roots here in uh, in Colorado and here in the West. So, uh, you know, just make some memories with my son. I mean, that's fun. I, you know, I I I was thinking about it as I was driving out here. It's about a two about a two hour drive out here, and I was thinking about it. You know, I was like, uh, there's it's close to a forty weeks that I go on the road for uh, for for fighting for the UFC and my athletes, and obviously the entertainment of of the fans and and everybody. So. When I get a chance to break away, uh, you know, I'm just trying to come out here and and make some memories with my son and and go harvest some pheasant that we're going to eat. You know, we ate some pheasant on Thanksgiving, we ate some elk on Thanksgiving, um, and so you know, just go have fun doing that stuff. And this is a side that a lot of people don't know about me. I mean, I have a real big countryside to me. Um, I grew up in the in the inner city of uh, Denver, so I grew up in a tough neighborhood, but. Uh, my families both come from cattle ranching and coal mining families, and uh, and you know I've, I'm I'm Native American. My father's uh, like 38% Native American, so kind of just runs in the blood. So, um, but yeah, just make some memories and 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 harvest some uh, some of the best food you can ever have. You ever had? Uh, you ever eaten pheasant? I haven't had pheasant myself. I think the most like gameish type of meat I've had is deer. Deer. Again, I'm okay. a, I'm, a, I'm a rookie with this thing, Mark. I'm living in Toronto here. We don't got <laughs> elk and deer running around like like you guys. But I, I will say this: hey. my, my my wife and and her family, or sorry, my my in laws actually live out in Saskatchewan. And I'm sure you're aware that Mr. Brock Lesnar moved up there just so he can go hunting and get away for everybody. But uh, her uncle actually is a pretty big hunter and trapper himself. Has his own YouTube channel. Is doing very well. Uh, and he's always inviting me. He's like, "Hey, let, let's go hunting. Let's go hunting." I've never even shot a gun in my life, Mark. So I'm hoping that. <laughs> <laughs> that I can eventually go out there one summer and enjoy it as well. It looks fun. You know what I mean? It's not just about catching it, right? It's about the experiences you're making that you're going with as well. And it's great that you're obviously bringing your son there. Um, uh, we do have a, a short amount of time here, so I don't want to uh, waste too much, of your time, too much more of your time. Before the, uh, the we jump into the breakdowns, I just have one question to ask you because top three fighters for me, 
by, bar none, Mr. Brandon Roy Val. That guy is such a treat to watch, no matter every, uh, no matter who he's going up against in the cage. Um, the very wild style. Uh, I like to call him like the flyweight Ferguson, uh, but just because he's just so wild at times, and that chaos usually uh, allows him to uh, th uh, thrive in those spots where other fighters are, are not able to. But when you're coaching a fighter like that, what what kind? How do you? best extract his his best skills which in my opinion is creating chaos well how do you what is what goes into training a guy like brandon royval if you don't mind me asking well i've been training brandon since he was 15 so i've had the luxury of training him since he started and he he's he and i actually come from the same neighborhood so um it's uh it's interesting because he has those tough roots and um he's a huge diaz brother fan and uh and so you can see that a little bit in him. The Ferguson comparison is fair as well. Um, but he's uh, he's a he, his chaos, like you said, does create a lot of opportunity. And that's how he's actually gotten to where he's at. I mean, he just he goes in there. He loves having fun, and and he loves the fight, you know. And so and he's such a skilled. He's he's I think the first real in his age uh, bracket, he's the first real like mixed martial artist coming up where those kids in their teens were training, just they wanted to be MMA fighters. And, you know, before that it was specialists. And, um, and so he's a, he's a true mixed martial artist and he's good everywhere. Uh, but to train him, he's a coach. He's a hardworking, one of the hardest working, he's a great leader, hardest working kids we have. Um, he's been in the system for a long time in our system. And so, you know, he's, he's easy to train because he and I have grown up together. And so, um, but it, uh, one of the things we have to consistently preach with him is, you know, let's slow this down a little bit. Let's slow this down a little bit. And I don't want to take away who he is. Believe me, I want him to always be who he is because that's what makes him special. But I think, um, I think we can make him even better if we, you should have seen him when he was younger. You think he's chaotic now. He's uh <laughs> He's crazy. I've seen some kid. of those regional fights. He's he's a yeah, he's yeah. a madman. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, uh maturity is is something that's helping him and but I never want to take away who he is. I don't want to ever change the style of the guy that I'm training. I just want to enhance it and and help them, you know, with the tools that they're growing and the and the mental uh, side of the game and their IQ. So, you know, that's all we're doing with him is just continuing to grow him that way. I was already a fan of him from his LFA days and all that, but what really made me a fan was that Tim Elliott performance where he was so down on himself even after getting a win after a tough fight like that. And I, I thought you did a great job in terms of like trying to uh, reassure him that dude, like you just had a great fight. Like enjoy this since your first UFC win over a legit veteran and Tim Elliott as well. So just to see that type of uh, mentality from, from him where he's like, I wish I did better even though I got the win. And, and obviously I think that's going to take him pretty far. I know he stumbled back in August against Pantoja, but I think he should be able to bounce back here in January when he goes up against Hajirio Bontarine. But yeah, glad I'm happy to to be able to pick your mind about uh, Royval briefly there. But we're here for another reason, Mark. We're here to break down the card that's going down tomorrow night. We got uh, Jose Aldo and uh, Rob Font from the main event, but we got uh, 13 other fights before that. So let's start off at the bottom of the card here. Uh, we got bantamweights going up against each other between Luis Smolka and Vince Morales. In terms of odds, we currently got minus 150-ish for Luis Smolka, plus 130 the return on Vince Morales. I'm a big Luis Smolka fan, especially since coming back to the UFC. He really has this knack for putting on the pressure of his opponents. Like he just uh, rips to the body a lot and then waits for the body. Uh, has to come down and then he starts to go upstairs or even with his jujitsu probably one of the best jujitsu game like i'd say 
top seven to top 10 jujitsu games in that 135 pound division because he's so smothering, likes to get on top and really likes to transition to those dominant positions, whether it's ground and pound or a rear naked choke, he's always looking for a finish. Vince Morales, on the other hand, seems to be a decent boxer with good uh, footwork, but I feel as though the wins that he's had inside the UFC, his opponents have allowed him to kind of get comfortable in that boxing range and get into his groove and his flow. I don't think Luis Smoker is going to allow him to do that. I think Smoker is going to move forward. He is a little bit slow at times, so I think that Morales will be able to ding him. But I do think that Smoker has enough durability to be able to withstand that. And then I think he should be able to break him with his pressure, eventually take him down, find that rear naked choke, and get him out of there. Personally, I, I got a hefty wager here on Luis Smoker. So I'm hoping that Mr. Mark Montoya agrees with me. But please do not sugarcoat it for me. How do you see this fight going down? Well, Morales, uh, I know because uh, Chris Gutierrez fought him. Yes. Um, who's obviously one of my fighters. And um, obviously we attacked the, the legs a lot in that fight, knowing that his, he has a boxing style. I could see Smoka absolutely going um, a little bit to that strategy. That's not Smoka's wheelhouse like it is Chris's wheelhouse. Um, his, you know, Smoka's wheelhouse is to get on top and, and run his, his jiu-jitsu series and, and eventually submit him. And so um, that's going that's got to be the key to victory for, for Smoka. The thing with Morales is he's young and he does have good hands. And sometimes Smoka has a tendency to stand in front of you and get hit. And so uh, will Smoka tra- – uh, the, the way Smoka wins is he's got to go transition right into, uh, into his, his ground game and work some cage work take away the the hands that Morales has and then go go and obviously insert his dominance on the ground. And so um Smoke has got to got to go there. I could see Morales uh clipping him a little bit though. Um Smoka has shown a little bit to have uh you know he, when he, he can't get clipped. And so he he's hittable uh as well. So I think I think Smoka can absolutely go in there and and insert his dominance i think it's gonna be a close fight though uh if smoka doesn't do it right away i think you see vince pull out the victory yeah i have a little bit more concern if i feel like morales had more knockout power but it's been a while since he's produced a knockout it doesn't seem like he has that zest or that pop but then again the striking defense of uh louis smoka leaves a little bit to be desired at times so very much looking forward to seeing how that one plays out all right let's move on to the next fight we got claudio poya it's going up against chris gritsmacher chris gritsmacher uh in terms of odds we're currently looking at uh, a pick him here minus 110 on both sides uh you guys have some uh history with chris gritsmacher obviously alexander hernandez uh I, if i'm not mistaken that was his first fight with you as well goes out there and starts his Chris Gritzmacher pretty quickly uh, and then Gritzmacher bounces back with a beautiful performance against Rafa Garcia really uh, showcasing his durability early in that fight where a lot of people that thought that Garcia would be able to knock him out just similar to what uh, Hernandez was able to however the knockout didn't transpire and uh, Gritzmacher was able to take over for the rest of the fight. Poyas uh, they pretty much have the same type of style and uh, I believe they want to get their opponents to the ground and really rough them up but I believe that Gritzmacher is a little bit more durable and, and gritty just like his nickname right like the guy, the guy wants to get in your face and really makes it a tough dirty fight uh and, and just pushes the pace but i think that Poyas will be able to land takedowns here and even in the striking realm i think he should be serviceable enough to deal with the pressure that's going to be coming his way uh I, i'm thinking either Poyas sub or i think he outgrinds uh gritsmacher here by just beating him to the movements we saw great movements from him against uh Mr. Jordan Levitt last time around, giving Levitt his first ever uh, pro MMA loss. And I think a lot of people were counting him out because I think he was coming off a three-year layoff or something like that. But now that he's gotten his feet back, uh, wet again, training down there at Sanford MMA under the watchful eye of Henry Hoof uh, and that uh, great gym down there, 
I think he should be able to go out there and, and pull this one over Gritzmacher. Please let me know what you guys, what your, uh, what the game plan was for you guys in the Hernandez camp when you're going up against Gritzmacher, and then ultimately, how do you see this fight playing out? Well, I think if uh, if Claudio is going to pull the victory out, he has to own the center of the cage. Uh, if you let if you let Grusmacher come forward and and because Grusmacher is absolutely hittable. Obviously, we saw that when Alex fought him, um, and you've seen that in his other fights. So, um, you know, Claudio has to own the center of the cage. He has to come out back Grootsmacher up, uh, uh, up, and he also has to go out and insert his dominance there. Um, but Grootsmacher can get hurt but still be in a fight and still win a fight when he's hurt. And so um, the question is, is you like you alluded to, you already said, hey, Claudio is coming off a, a, a big layoff. Um, but Before his has, last fight, sorry. I believe his correct. last fight was in July, yes. But but he's come back and he fought that last fight after the layoff, <clears throat> and he was and and so I think that is a benefit to uh, to Claudio for sure, um, because it's not just a layout coming off a layoff fight against a tough, durable guy like Grootsmacher. Um, Grootsmacher um, is I think going to be a little slower there. Um, he he has a tendency to show a lot of what he does, and you know when we fought him. Uh, that's that's one of the keys to our success was Alex had to own the center. He had to impose his will quickly on him, and then we knew that he was hittable. So, um, you know, we, we, we didn't want to overthrow stuff. We wanted to make sure that he was being uh, fast and accurate with efficiency. And so – and that's what he did. And then, obviously, Alex is, is one of the best in the world when he senses – uh, danger, he goes and finishes. Um, obviously, he just did that again in his last fight. And so um, – I, I believe I believe the the Sanford camp and Claudio will, uh, will of course take notes from that fight and from his other fights and I I think I think I think the odds right now are that uh, Grootsmacher is a slight favorite, isn't he? Uh, it has. I'm seeing actually a little bit of money coming in on Poyas. I'm even seeing him as high as minus one forty on certain oh, okay. spots. So it seems like uh, late money here coming on the Peruvian Poyas. Okay, so I would. Um, it's a pick'em fight for sure. I, 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 it's hard to because there still is that layoff thing. I know we just had a fight. I get it, but there's, it, you know, he, you have to get a few in there to prove that you're back. Does that make sense? And so yeah, I, um, it's uh, it's a pick'em fight in in my head. I don't. Um, I'm I'm not really putting my money on that fight. I'm watching that fight and just going, hmm, okay. Um, if I was putting a gun to your head, what what side are you? What side are you picking here? Gun to my head, I pick Claudio. Okay, I like it. I yeah. like it. Yeah. All right, let's keep this train moving along. We got Alonzo Menafield going up against William Knight in terms of odds. Uh, late money coming in on Alonzo Menafield now. He's up to about minus one fifty five, plus one thirty five. The return on William Knight. Both these guys have been scheduled to fight each other numerous times. Uh, and but my opinions have sort of shifted. I was originally picking Knight. Then we saw how the next two fights for both of these guys went. Uh, we obviously saw William Knight get pummeled by Da Unyoung for third uh, for three rounds, but he was able to follow that up on the same night that you were actually in Vegas as well, where he 
knocked out Fabio Charant with a beautiful uh, counter left hook as he was moving backwards. Beautiful power from him there. Alonzo Manifield, on the other hand, pulls off a Von Prue choke uh, against Fabio Charant earlier this year and then follows that up with a beautiful performance against Ed Herman where he just tears up that lead leg and then did some good uh, good work in that third round to get him out of there for his first ever decision victory, which is, uh, I think, a, a great thing for fighters that, you know, guys like Alonzo Menafield and William Knight come into the UFC pretty much just squashing guys on the regional scene because of their athleticism and their power. But once you get to the UFC, it gets a lot tougher to get away with things like that. And both these guys have been able to figure that out uh, the hard way with obviously uh, taking some L's in the UFC to this point. Uh, I do like Menafield here, though. I like this calm, cool approach from him. I'm a big fan of Save Sayud. And one thing that I really picked up in that fight against Ed Herman was uh, the, when they did the, the corner cam thing, the one thing that he was saying is like, Everything light, Alonzo. Everything light, light, because he wanted to see him go the full 50 minutes. And I think he did a really good job in terms of conserving his energy, throwing out a couple of leg kicks, throwing out a, co a couple of combinations so that he can go the full 15 minutes if it was required. And it was required that night. William Knight, I was just not impressed with his inability to get back to his uh, feet against Dao Un Jung. It seemed like he just kept succumbing to the same trip takeover from the clinch position uh, and just could not work back to his feet. Uh, I think. Zoe, not much of a wrestler, but I feel like a, a mastermind like Safe Sayud should be able to devise a plan that he can uh, exploit that part of William Knight's game if he needs to. Uh, but I do like Zoe here, not overconfident in it. Uh, both uh, when, when you see these guys, a lot of people think, okay, let's bet the under, let's bet the fight doesn't go to decision, somebody's going to get knocked out. Personally, I think these guys are going to have some respect for each other, and we see this actually go over the one and a half round mark, which currently sits at minus 165. I think that's, that's a decent enough bet here, uh, but I do think that it's going to be Menafield that ends up getting his hand raised by decision in this fight. What do you think about this matchup between two powerhouses at light heavyweight? Yeah, so I have uh, I have some personal experience with William Knight. Uh, Cody Brundage fought him the Contender yeah. Series. Cody Brundage went up a weight class to do that at 205. Uh, William Knight is uh, one hell of a specimen for, especially for his height, right? And so, a so tank, is Menafield. Fire hydrant. <laughs> so is Menafield. You're going to see a lot yeah. of beef in that uh, in that case <laughs> uh, when that happens. Those guys are both um, <laughs> specimens for sure. I think. Um, when Cody fought him in the contender series, uh, we took him down fairly easy and actually had uh, his back and had him flattened out uh, working to finish. Obviously, uh, it didn't end well for us because we didn't win that fight after the fact. But um, the, the, the thing that was I a weird about, stand up. Sorry, Mark. That was a weird stand up the, in my opinion. It was opinion. the worst stand up I've seen as a coach. Yeah. Uh, Herb Dean and I have not been the same since then. And oh, uh, wow. because Interesting. he was telling my fighter to advance position, and I'm yelling at Herb saying, That's, that's the best position we can be in <laughs> <Exactly>. in MMA. <laughs> so, um, so I just, uh, anyway, that, that, that stand up is actually. Um, what carried on for us to lose the fight. And of course, I'm still bitter about it. So um, I would be too. I would be too. Thankfully, Brunner still made it to the UFC one way or another, he did. but still. He did. Yeah. He did. But um, Knight is talented and he's got power. So is Menafield and he's got power. The thing with all that mass that they both carry is their longevity to sustain the cardio if, in fact, the fight goes past a round. And so Menafield did show in his last fight against Herman that um, from taking taking instruction from, you know, Safe and, and his team there to, hey, let's keep things light and let's work and, and, and conserve, be efficient, essentially. And he did that and he showed that he could do that. Um, 
but he did that against Ed Herman, who is obviously toward the end of his career, uh, is not as, anywhere near as explosive as, as Knight um, and doesn't have the same youth that Knight has either. And so one thing I know about Knight is he can counter Russell really well. He, he much better than people actually, I, I don't think have seen or, or know because I studied him well because Brundage fought him. He can counter wrestle well. Uh, if, if he counter wrestles like he has shown he can do in the past, I think he beats Menafield. And so um, Menafield though is gonna bring a flurry of heat in that and like he always does, even if he's being efficient, the guy's still powerful. And so um, I think he's gonna flurry a little bit. Now when they flurry, the who knows, throw, throw all the money up in the air because it's whoever <laughs> catches yeah. each other first. And so um, I could see where Menafield is more technical and a little more well-rounded in, in and why the odds are favoring him a little bit. But I'll tell you what, if Knight counter wrestles him and does what he's good at there, um, he could, he could, I think he could win that fight fairly easily if he'll do that. Now, will he do that? That's the question. And so, um, I think the money right now is sitting, the odds are sitting right now on the men, uh, field, and I would agree with that. Uh, but I, but I'll tell you, if you wanted to pick a fight that is closer than I, than I think the odds are showing right now, um, Knight has a good chance to win that fight. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Knight was a slight favorite when they were first matched up. And then they both obviously had two fights. And now the money is coming in on Menafield, considering the data that we have now compared to before. But uh, yeah, I, I am looking forward to it. I want nothing to do with it money-wise. Like like you said, if they trade in the fire, somebody's going to go down. It just depends on who hits first. Exactly. Just throw the chips Get the in the lighter. and see what happens. Get the lighter. Exactly. Get the lighter and just start burning the money. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Mallory Martin going up against Cheyenne Vlismas, <coughs> formerly Cheyenne Bays. Uh, so just for people to, to to remember who exactly she is. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 190-ish for Vlismas and plus 160 for Mallory Martin. Uh, for me, it's a passive a fight. Uh, Bays, uh, when she is having success, she uses her grappling pretty effectively. Uh, she was able to get that knockout last time around against Gloria DePaula. The fight before that is where a lot of people start to drop off on her because she was a minus 300 favorite against Montserrat Ruiz. And that was that famous fight where she got stuck in that scarf hold position and could not get out for 15 minutes. And everybody just said, you know, this girl's no good anymore. Why Why should we bet on her? But she was able to bounce back effectively, like I said, in her next fight and get a knockout that time around. Mallory Martin, on the other hand, uh, she... Uh, uh, she did get uh, submitted by Verna Janjuroba a couple fights ago, uh, but then last time around, she did get submitted by Poliana Vienna via armbar. Both of these girls, I believe their bread and butter is the grappling and the wrestling. Uh, I believe Martin has uh, the more credentials when it comes to the wrestling side, and uh, Vlismas is more of an MMA wrestler, if anything. Uh, I do lean on the Vlismas side, or sorry, on the uh, Martin side at underdog odds because... Uh, I believe she could have the advantage when they get into those wrestling scenarios. My concern, though, is we just haven't seen much of Lismas off her back other than that Montserrat Ruiz fight, which I'm going to put a little bit of an asterisk between uh, beside because, Mark, you've seen thousands of fights in your life. How many fights have you seen where somebody's just able to get them in that old school uh, schoolyard uh, headlock and just not get them out of it, right? That's an asterisk of a performance. Uh, and then, yeah, not seeing what she looks like off her back is just too much of a, a question mark for me to trust a girl like Mallory Martin, who, again, she's been submitted from guard in the past, and that's just not a good look for me if I want to invest my money on somebody. Uh, I'm going with the Martin side just because she's the underdog, but this is a very close fight. Is there much you can add in terms of this fight? Uh, are you familiar with these women? And ultimately, if you are, what do you think ends up getting the nod? 
No, no, I'm familiar with both of them. Mallory's actually from uh, Colorado, or uh, trains here in Colorado. So she trains uh, up the street, Not obviously not at Factory X, but she trains at Elevation. So um, I watched her her uh, come fr up from the ranks, you know, from on the regional scene, local regional scene. So um, I know Mallory really well uh, because she's right here in my backyard. Um, super talented and and is gritty. That's one thing I love about her is that, you know, she, uh, when she's the hammer, she's mean, bro. And so, yeah. you know, that's, that's the thing is she can be, she can be really mean. Cheyenne can too. She's talented. And, um, I think, I think the question is, is, is the ground neutralized or does one person have a little bit of advantage over the other there? Um, Mallory ha has shown that she can be the hammer on top. She's also shown, like you said, uh, to be submitted from, from the ground as well. And so, but, um, I've watched Martin and, and watched her come up. I didn't watch Cheyenne as, uh, nowhere near as close on her come up. Like I have Mallory because Mallory's from, um, my neck of the woods here. Um, but I would say, uh, even though Mallory's the underdog, I would say that, um, I, I would go, I would go actually on that side for, uh, for this fight. I like it. Maybe some slight Colorado bias there, but I'll take it, Mark. Mm. It is what it is. Uh, you pretty much admitted that anyway, so it's all good. I do actually have a question in regards to that. Like you said, she trains over there at Team Elevation. Uh, I always find it interesting when we have two big gyms in the same city. What is that relationship like with Team Elevation? Is it like a, a rivalry? Is it a friendly competition type of thing? Like, what, what is your relationship with those guys? And Because I remember the last time, actually, I was actually at the event, August 21st, when you guys had Vince Michelle going up against uh, Austin Hubbard, and I believe that was a Factory X versus Team Elevation uh, uh, fight over there. What, what's that relationship like between these gyms? Uh, it's it's a healthy rivalry, and uh, we I have a I have a ton of respect for the coaching staff there and their team. They've done a phenomenal job, and uh, but competition is great for anything for any business for fighting. I mean, we wouldn't we wouldn't be fighting if we didn't have competition, and so um, and we're close to each other, so it's not that like geographically we're close to each other and so and we fight each other a lot on the regional scene local scene and um we have a great relationship in the sense of uh, a mutual respect and and you know that real recognizes real type thing um they're they're a great gym we're a great gym and uh it elevates us it's actually one of the reasons why i think you see such great fighters come out of colorado because you have two really powerhouse gyms going at it on the local regional scene and weeding out, um, you know, the kids that don't get to the, to the highest level, um, past that regional scene. And so that's why you get to see some of these phenomenal fighters, uh, like San Hagen and Roy Vol and, you know, some of those type kids. So, um, uh, nothing but respect for those guys, but, and honestly, it's not really a biased, uh, a pick. I, I think it's, um, I just know Martin a little better, but I've watched Cheyenne fight. She's freaking good. Um, uh, I just if I just think if Mallory brings out her grit like like I know she can, um, she could neutralize that fight and take that underdog, uh, you know, nomer that she's got on her name right now and, and go win that fight. So I like it. I like it. All right, let's keep this moving along. Next up, we got Jake Matthews going up against Jeremiah Wells. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at uh, minus 165 for Jake Matthews, plus 145 the return on Jeremiah Wells. Now, this is going to be back-to-back -back fights for Jake Matthews going up against those guys over there in Philly. I believe it's Daniel Gracie's uh, Hensel gym that he has over there. Uh, uh, 
very tough fight for Jake Matthews last time around against Sean Brady, who's really turning out to be a great prospect. Uh, I don't even know if we can call him a prospect anymore, especially with that big win that he just got over a couple weeks ago against Michael Kies. Uh, uh Jeremiah was fights similar to Sean Brady. I just don't know if he's as effective. Uh, good takedowns, great power on the feet. Obviously, we saw that in his UFC debut against Wally Alves, where he was able to starch him in that second round. Questionable cardio, but luckily for him, I feel like uh, Jake Matthews has some questionable cardio as well when it gets laid into a fight. Uh, both guys, similar game plans as well, right? They want to drag their opponents to the ground and really grind them out from on top. Uh, and that's where we see, you know, Jake Matthews start to huff and puff a little bit later in his fights where you see guys like Diego Sanchez and other guys having success in that third round because Jake is just working so hard to kind of hold him down and get those takedowns in those first two rounds. Again, similar can be said about Jeremiah Wells here. I believe this is a 50-50 fight. Uh, personally, I took an underdog shot here on Jeremiah Wells. I do think he'll be able to secure takedowns. I've seen him against... Uh, 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 what's the last fight? John Manley, uh, a couple fights ago when uh, Jeremiah Wells fought him and uh, found himself in precarious positions late in the fight, but still managed to explode out of these positions and get back to his feet and then pretty much get the fight back onto his terms. I just don't know if Jake Matthews has that same type of ability to get back to his feet. There's times where we've seen him gr uh, grind it out in the past. So I, I kind of trust Jeremiah Wells' side a little bit more. Uh, one prop that I actually found pretty interesting, if Jeremiah Wells doesn't start him early in this fight, um, which, you know, it, it's tough to do that against a guy like Jake Matthews. You need to really grind on him and then finish him in the third round, similar to how Anthony Rocco Martin was able to. And then obviously, uh, Wells' teammate, Sean Brady, was able to get him out of there in that third round. If Wells doesn't start him in the first round, I could see this going the full 50 minutes. I could see him give the judges a uh, nod as well. And they're currently holding that price at plus 600 for Jeremiah Wells to win this five-year decision. I think that's a great line, personally. Again, don't need to get too greedy, especially when you're getting underdog money on a side here like you are getting with Jeremiah. And personally, I, I pulled the trigger around plus 145. Uh, what do you think about this fight? Two grapplers, one guy uh, making a second walk to the UFC or uh, to the cage, and Jake Matthews. Seems like he's been in the UFC forever. Like his kid's still only 27 or 28 years old. Uh, what, what do you think about this matchup? Um, I like this matchup. I think it's uh, I think it's a fun fight. I think the um, the the ground game gives. Uh, potentially can be neutralized and you see these guys strike a little bit and uh and wells has some power um and and but jake's tough you know and so it's like uh, that makes for a fun fight especially when they get in the grappling exchanges i think you see some you see some good grappling in this fight um you also have wells teammate who like you said just had a huge victory uh brady did just recently and um his team has prepared for this fight before right so um it, and mma math never adds up correctly that way so it's not like well you, you know you train with brady and brady beat him so you can beat him. it never adds up that way but the preparation has been put in for that opponent that's a big thing and um i'm sure they learned some stuff even though they came out with a victory the first time they learned some stuff about that fight that they can take into this one in addition to what they are already game plan for. And so uh, because of those two things, um, I respect Jake a lot, but I, but I think Wells has, the, I would give Wells the nod on this. Um, and I think that, I think you could put some money on that for sure. I like it. I like it. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up that, uh, you know, these guys were already preparing for it before because we had that something similar with you guys recently as well with Jonathan Martinez taking on that short notice spot against Z Zviad Lazisvili a couple weeks ago. Uh, you guys had Josh Huber fight uh, Zviad on the on the regional scene. Uh, 
did that kind of go into the reasoning as to why you guys accepted that short short notice fight against Viad? Is you guys are already prepared for this guy, but you might have you know not, no disrespect to Josh at all, but you might have a better soldier to uh, send out there and Jonathan Martinez to pull off a game plan that Josh probably was not able to. What, what can you tell me about that fight with Martinez and Viad? Yeah, so when uh, when uh, Huber fought him a couple years, maybe two or three years ago, maybe two years ago, something like that. Yep. Um, I I pulled up my notes from that fight, and I was and when they when they pitched that to Jonathan, and so I already had notes on him, and when I rewatched his fighting from that date to current, there wasn't a ton of change. Not at all. And I, no, <laughs> and I, I was like. Too. I was like, okay, um, there's not a ton of change here. And so I went through my notes and then we had a different fighter fighting him stylistically, Jonathan and Huber are not the same, obviously. Yeah. And so we, uh, because of the styles, we were able to neutralize a lot of that. And I know how well Jonathan does against wrestlers and, uh, and, and, you know, he went out there and capitalized big time against a really tough opponent actually. Uh, and I believe correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't he undefeated? Uh, yes, he was undefeated. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of people are kind of high on him. Like, you know, the Georgians have been killing it inside the UFC as of late, right? So when they have this short notice guy come in undefeated, uh, I believe the betting line was actually in Sviad's favor as well. A lot of people it love was. him in that spot. And I, I couldn't see it personally. I'm like, Jonathan, this is, this is a great fight for Jonathan. And luckily, he was able to play off that way as well. So credit to you guys and the coaching staff for being able to get that done. All right, Mark, let's move on to the next fight. We got veteran Brian Barbarena taking on short notice Darian Weeks. Um, Darian Weeks, a Missouri native. I, I believe he spent some time over there with your boy James Cross a couple times, but he doesn't actually fight out of that gym. On the, on the flip side, Brian Barbarena, obviously a veteran coming off a loss too. Uh, glory MMA fighter Jason Witt uh, was not yeah. able to to really get much going on those first two rounds, dealing with the takedowns of Jason Witt. But in that third round, man, he made it really, really close. Um, personally, I thought it was a 10-9, so luckily Jason Witt actually did get his uh, hand raised that night. Even though he was close to getting finished, at least he pulled off some takedowns and showed some offensive uh, uh, capabilities in that third round to negate that 10-8. Uh, so good work from Jason Witt to be able to survive there and get that W. Uh, but Brian Barbarina, like he, like he showed, doesn't go down without a fight, man. The guy is very tough very gritty pretty much good all around uh hard hitter at times he's been able to, to put some guys out and i think he could do that here against darian weeks now my issue is how is he going to deal with those takedowns right darian weeks really good wrestler should be able to get the fight to the ground i personally wasn't impressed with weeks's ability to keep this fight uh keep fights on the ground and now he's taking a massive step up in competition as well i know he has uh, a bit of a lengthy amateur career but when you start fighting guys in the deep end of the pool of the ufc even the middle of the pool here with uh brian barbarena massive step up in in competition so uh personally i also think weeks has a a weak cardio game as well if you if you want to take that point as well uh but i do think that Bar brian should be able to survive that first round and then really make it difficult for weeks to get his game going after that i don't think he's the most comfortable in the striking realm weeks that is uh he has a ton of power he mainly has like a a teep up the middle and some big overhands but that's really about it in my opinion pretty limited on the feet he gets his best work done on the ground i think barbarina will be uh ready for that and i think after that he should be able to start to take over with the striking take down defense and possibly even get a third round finish i like me those third round props especially when i see a cardio deficiency in a fighter's game and i think it's roughly around plus 1200 now if you take a little bit of a sprinkle on barbarina to win in the, uh, this fight in round three that's how i'm going what can you tell me about weeks and ultimately who do you think uh wins this fight um i i would say what you just broke down is perfect <laughs> i i think <laughs> uh yeah i mean i i think barbarina is uh super durable he's tough obviously 
uh, he's coming off a loss to uh, Wit, and Wit um, was the underdog in that fight for sure. Yeah, big underdog, and, uh, big big underdog, big underdog. And I remember talking to Kraus about that fight uh, leading up to it, and uh, everybody knows what uh, Brian's capable of. Um, Weeks is talented. I mean, the kid's talented for sure. He's um, it's not a walkover fight at all, but I think I think the competition difference um, could play a factor there. I also yeah. I also think that Barbarena is probably still shocked that he lost his last fight um, and and pissed. You know, uh, he comes off. I don't know him well at all, but he comes off to me like he didn't forget about that and he wants to go make a statement about that. And sometimes sometimes we catch guys on that transition. It's actually a good thing because you can capitalize on emotion. But I think he's good at harnessing his emotion, but he's also good at burning a fire inside that you can't see, and he wants to go make a statement. I think it's a statement fight for him. And because of his demeanor and the skill and talent he has, I think I think the Barbarina money is is the right one and the right pick in that fight for that reason. And it's not that Weeks is is uh, is the walk overall. He's a tough, talented kid, but. Um, I think uh, I I think I just knowing what just happened to him in his last fight, uh, Brian. That is, I think he comes out and gives a statement fight. I love it. I love it. Interestingly enough, uh, when the odds makers dropped the odds for this fight, he was a minus two hundred favorite at the opener. Heavy money coming in on Darian Weeks, and it's pretty much a pick him at this point in time. I wouldn't be surprised if Darian Weeks actually goes off as the favorite once the fight kicks off. So uh, a lot of people reading into that Jason Witt fight, I think they might burning be burning themselves with that recency bias, though, because Brian Barbarino is a very tough out, and I think that Darian Weeks is uh, possibly in for a vet lesson tomorrow night uh, from Mr. Brian Barbarino. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Zalgas Zumagula going up against Manel Cop in terms of odds. Uh, heavy chalk here on the Manel Cap side of things. He's minus 260 and the return on uh, Zagas Sumagulov plus 220. Um, I'm very interested in this fight, right? There's a lot of hype on Manel Cap coming into the UFC. Obviously, he did a lot of good things over there in Risen, uh, a couple of good wins over some notable guys, uh, and then he's pretty much fallen flat in his UFC career so far. Uh, lost his uh, original fight, or sorry, his initial fight in the UFC against Alexandre Pantoja, where it just seemed like he was you know, feeling himself a little bit too much in the moment, dancing a little bit, you know, really playing to to the lack of crowd that was in the apex that night. Uh, and he ends up coming up on the losing end. Then in his next fight, loses a very close fight to Matias Nicolau. Uh, and then luckily, uh, finally gets his first win inside the UFC in a fight that I didn't think he was doing the greatest in honesty against O'Day Osborne. Osborne was having tremendous success before he ran into that uh, flying knee attempt from Manal Cap, and Cap finally gets his first victory. Zagas Sumagulov, on the other hand, he's coming over uh, off of a big win over Jerome Rivera, where he was able to start him in that first round and get that finish. I believe it was a guillotine choke that he ended up getting him with, but uh, he was running through some pretty tough times of his own, losing a couple decisions here and there. Uh, Zagas champion over there in some uh, uh in one of the russian organizations I had a couple of good wins ali bago tinov uh uh i believe he beat uh tagir ulenbekov as well uh point fighter right it's it's hilarious to see like uh, he, he starts off his career 6-0, and all six finishes, and then since then, he's only managed to knock off uh, to, to get two wins uh, via finish. I'm sure you see this on the regional scene, and then ultimately when guys get to the UFC as well, it's a lot easier to get finishes on the regional scene, but then once you start jumping in with the Sharks, it's a lot tougher for them to get finishes, and I think that's exactly what happened with Zalgas here. He's more of a point fighter now, likes his boxing, sticks and move. That's really about it, but I think he's going to have some trouble here with the unorthodox movement of Manel Cap. I think Cap will be too fast for him. I think he'll be too powerful as well i think he'll land the more devastating blows that the judges will see 
the bet that I actually have in this fight is the over two and a half. Zagas is a decision machine as of late. You know, I mean, outside of that Jerome Rivera fight, but I think Cap has a very good chin. I think Zagas has a very good chin. I think both guys are pretty crafty on the ground and should be able to stay out of position or submissions. And then I think we'll see uh, Manel just slowly outpoint him from the outside. I'm not too keen on betting Manel here at minus 260, which is why I took the over two and a half in case we get a robbery situation or Zalgas gets the nod because he's able to match the output of uh, Manel cap as well. I'm taking cap, uh, but my main money is on the over two and a half in this fight and seeing it go to the judges' scorecards. How do you see this one going down between two flyweights? Well, I think uh, you just highlighted the the probably when you're talking money you just highlighted the the key factor in this and that's the two and a half uh you know rounds that that i think that is probably your best money uh wager for sure uh for this fight um i stylistically it's interesting because Zalgas um was uh was a powerhouse coming up like you said but he in the sense of finishes um i the the point fighting has been interesting to me because he's you you can see that he's got power and so he can go out there and he can finish you so i don't know what's changed there that's been that's my that's kind of the thing that raises my eyebrow a little bit i'm like well why did he stop doing that and it might be because of competition could be that um it could be that maybe he was a little too wild when he was fighting and his coaches are trying to calm him down a little bit and say hey you actually have more skills. You're more well-rounded than just doing that. And so he's lost a little bit of his identity trying to grow and expand and learn. And maybe it circles back to him and he's able to put it all together. Um, but in that transition right now, I think uh, I think Cap catches him in a transition with what, with what he's trying to do stylistically. And um, I, I absolutely think he's super well-rounded that that being cap and he has uh he has the ability to put you out but he also can go win uh, a three-round fight for sure and so uh, but again that that two and a half round money that's uh that's that's a smart bet um, but also I could see cap taking the victory for sure in that I like it. I like it. All right. Let's move on to our prelim headliner now. We got a, a pair of middleweights going up against each other. We got Mackie Patolo uh, going up against Dushko Todorovic. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 160 for Todorovic, plus 140 the return on Mackie Patolo. Both guys coming off the Dana White Contender Series with a lot of hype around them and their debuts are at chalk money. A lot of people are betting them and parlaying them, but they've been falling short in a couple of their fights. Uh, both guys, uh, I believe... Uh, Dusko Todorovic is one and two now in the UFC, and on the flip side for Mackie Patoli, he's one and four inside the UFC. Uh, most recently, coming off that loss to fellow Glory member uh, Julian Marquez, uh, very crazy fight, especially that return, that being the return fight for Julian Marquez after such a long layoff and a severe injury and surgeries that he had to go through. Uh, I thought Patolo was 50 seconds away from getting his hand raised by that decision, and then uh, Julian Marquez just puts that anaconda choke on him and gets him out of there. So good win for him there. But in this fight, Dushko uh, likes to play the matador, man. He likes to stay on the outside, kind of pick his opponents from uh, from range, blitz forward at times as well. Uh, he has a decent clinch game as well, but it's been up against 
you know, mediocre level of competition, that's where I think that Mackie Patolo should be able to thrive. Uh, I think he'll be able to uh, wrangle and corral uh, Dusko Todorovic up against the cage, maybe let off some of those coconut bombs that he has, uh, and maybe even just grind him up against the cage, maybe grab a, a couple of takedowns as well. But I think his aggressiveness and tenacity in terms of moving forward will be the difference maker in this fight. As long as he doesn't get clubbed and subbed, similar to that Julian Marquez fight, or as long as he doesn't get clubbed late here, I think that this is a great spot for him as an underdog in this spot. And you know I love my guy, uh, Eric Nixick, over there at Extreme Couture. I know he's doing great work with Mackie. Uh, very much looking forward to this fight. I got Mackie. Mackie by decision, which I currently think is sitting around plus 450, if I'm not mistaken, or plus 250. I think that's a decent bet as well. What's your what's your thoughts on this matchup? And uh, if you can share anything in terms of whether you discussed uh, with uh, Kraus in regards to the Marquez and Patolo fight in the lead up to that, uh, please, it would be great if you could share anything about that. Yeah, so Patolo is is super talented. He can uh, he can box, boy, and he's got some bombs. I mean, his nickname is is perfect for him, right? And so, um, and you know, he, I, I'll tell you, I've been, I've been, I've like been like it's hurt my heart watching Patolo lose some of these fights um, because the kid's super talented. I, I watch him, and I'm like, and I think that's the reason why he's still around is because everyone including the matchmakers at the ufc and and dana and all those people they see the potential there and um you know he's he's had some tough losses and he's had a few in a row and that kind of thing and uh, he's won one and he's lost a few and now like, he keeps doing that um but his style is to just get in there and get after it and and uh the the question that i have for vitolo is what is his what does his transformation look like on the ground and uh we all know what he looks like on the feet and he's really good at what he's doing uh where he's where he's running into some stuff has been on the ground and so i i know that he comes from he comes from you know um eric over there and and they train him and they do a great job with with everyone that they're working with over there and i i guarantee that's got to be something that they really looked at and said okay this is something we need to uh, address. And and I think if they've addressed some of that stuff there, that there's no fear that, that Patolo can continue to have no fear striking because he's shoring up some of his deficiencies on the ground. If he's not shoring up some of those deficiencies on the ground, then we got a problem here because there is going to be fear if the, if the, if the, and you got to remember, these guys don't get tired a lot of times because they didn't work hard and train hard for the fight. They get tired because their nervous system raises. Yeah. And your nervous system raises and you're like, oh, shit, I feel tired because your body's going, whoa, I'm in panic mode here. And panic mode is created when you're not prepared sometimes. And so the the ground piece, it's not that it's not that Maki's not prepared and that he looks tired sometimes when he hits the ground. And I think it's just there that he needs some work there. And so – what does it look like there? That's my question is uh, what, what kind of work has been done there? Because if they shored some of that up, it's going to give him the confidence. His nervous system is going to raise as much. He's going to be able to get back to his feet and throw the bombs that he throws. And he absolutely could win that fight. But, um, you know, uh, Dushko is, uh, like you said, that dude that dude will, will just hit, hit, be in and be out, be in and be out, be in and be out. And I could see that. Um, driving Maki crazy and him him um, kind of chasing instead of cutting off and and working his boxing game and so it's a uh, it's a it, 
that's a I don't know that's a tough fight that one right there it's tough to call uh I think I know there's a lot of money on uh or, or excuse me the odds are are in favor of uh Dushko uh I believe and so with that said um I'm always so high on uh, Maki. Like he, I, I love watching kid fight. He's such a skilled, uh, he's such a skilled kid. I, um, I would have to say because of the the uncertainty of what's going on in the ground. I mean, Dusko's got to go to the ground a little bit, right? I mean, that, it, he's. It's not I know really it's not his, his style, style, yeah. But I mean, he's got to he's got to work some of that a little bit, right? I mean, yeah. you got. I I would say it's a total error. If there's at least no cage wrestling, if there's no like, let's not just throw bombs here and try to stick and run, stick and run, stick and run. Um, I, I mean, maybe I, I'm not saying that can't work, but I but I think uh, I think the the opportunity to go in there and blend a little bit, Dushko, I mean, blend a little bit would secure a win for sure. And I think maybe that's why he's got the odds right now in his favor. Um, and that maybe he maybe the odds are also saying, hey, they don't think Maki can catch him because he's going to be so in and out on him in the sense of his style. Maybe that's another reason. But I think the, um, it's hard for me to pick against Maki. I got to go with him. Yeah, you're getting underdog money on him, on him as well, so it's not that bad of a bet if you think he has that uh, th that dog in him to to go out there and get that victory. All right, uh, we're getting to the main card here, and I do want to remind you guys, the 100 live viewers that we currently have, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe below, and then show my guy Mark some love as well. I know he said he doesn't seem as a hunter or anything like that, but I promise as soon as you guys see his IG, you guys will know exactly what's up. Uh, I do have the link to his Instagram in the description below, so make sure you guys click that and shoot my man a follow because he's a very fun follow as well. And obviously, Go over there. The followers gym as well. Factory X Muay Thai. You guys can follow on Instagram as well. All right. Main card kicking off here. We got Alex Morono going up against uh Mickey Gall. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at heavy chalk here on the uh Alex Morono side. He's sitting at minus 230 plus 210. The return here on Mickey Gall. Now, Alex Morono, another safe Sayud guy. I'm a big Fortis guy myself, so I love when you when we get to see him go out there and, and coach these guys. But I think that uh Morono is gonna remind mickey gall what it's like to go in there with with a shark and it's uh, hilarious that his nickname is the great white but i because i truly believe he fights like a shark and every time i try to break down alex morono fights i always stumble and try to figure out like i know he's gonna win this fight but how does he win this fight because he's a bjj black belt that he never uses it seems right he never takes his opponents to the ground he just likes to go out there and throw bomb not bombs but like he just likes to throw leather and really get into a fight uh we saw him uh, put up i believe 160 significant strikes against reese mckee which is uh, absolutely crazy the pace that they're fighting at in that uh in that spot but he has some power in his hands as well he's knocked out a couple guys uh in this fight against mickey gall uh i think he just needs to be worried a like maybe the first three four minutes when mickey really has some pop on his shots as we saw uh when he went up against uh, uh jordan williams last time around it didn't seem like williams was himself at all after that first shot landed and got dropped and then we saw mickey gall was able to take advantage of that after uh but gall what really got him to the to the show was obviously this whole cm punk fiasco that we got a couple years ago but uh his bjj game right that was his bread and butter he'd be <coughs> able to get guys down get the backs and strangle them but he starts as he starts taking steps on the competition it's not that easy for him anymore like you got guys like mike perry and randy brown pretty much controlling him from on top for the majority of a fight and he's not really able to do much off of his back it seems like he also has a bit of a cardio issue on the Alex Morono side, though, this guy fights from minute one to minute 15. Very durable outside of that Chaos Williams loss that he uh, took in February of 2020. But since then, he's put together a decent enough streak 
other than the, the last study at two Anthony Pettis. Uh, but I think he's, I just think he's the spot here, man. I, I feel pretty confident Alex Morello here. I think as long as he can evade that early shot from Mickey Gall, he should be able to kind of drown him with his pace and his pressure. And I think he could actually even get him out of there, similar to what Diego Sanchez was able to do a couple fights ago as well. So I do like uh, Alex Morono here, Alex inside the distance as well. And even the under two and a half to possibly cover Mickey Gall, you know, getting a club and sub situation or anything like that. Because he has some pop in his shots, as we obviously saw. But uh, I'd be surprised if he puts Alex Morono on his butt and, and has the same amount of his success as he did in his last fight so hopefully mickey gall doesn't come in with too much confidence in his hands now because of what he's able to do last time around but i think either way he's he's kind of screwed i i think this is a morono fight uh from from beginning to end he, he's probably one of my more confident spots here uh what, what's your what's your take on this fight and in your opinion what went wrong in that jordan williams fight and what can you tell us about mickey gall as well well uh give me the odds on this fight i don't for some reason the it's, side i'm looking on i don't see it yeah, it's minus two thirty for uh, Alex Morono, plus one ninety ish for uh, Mickey Gall. So he's pretty uh, pretty steep underdog there. Well, I think the line is a little bit disrespectful. Um, uh, I, I mean, uh, on Gall's side, but it, that doesn't mean that I don't see Morono uh, Morono winning this fight. But I do think that's a little disrespectful there. Um, I because here's the thing, like you like you alluded to, he was brought in for the CM Punk thing. That's not his fault. And the, yeah. and the kid's only seven and three, by the way. Like his record, he's only seven. Yeah. He's only got ten fights. I think Morono's got about thirty, right? Pro fights. Yeah. It's close. And so, um, and and I'll tell you what. When Jordan Williams fought him, uh, he he was impressive. I mean, Gall Gall did a good job. He clipped uh, he clipped Jordan early, and then obviously took advantage of that and and subbed us, right? And so. Um, uh in game planning for gall um he is a he is good on the ground um and obviously that's where he shines um but he's obviously done um you know i trained matt brown when he fought diego sanchez and matt uh and i still have a good relationship obviously matt moved to ohio and what have you but i know matt is has trained gall um and done some work with him on his feet and and so and they worked in and out of the clinch and uh those are some things that maddie obviously shines really well with and and you know when when we fought him recently uh you know gall gall looked a lot more confident on his feet than he ever has looked and so that's something um that i could see in the cage i was like wow i could see this i could see this in the cage and so uh, there's some growth there even though you know, Gall is only seven and three, and he's a super nice kid. Always been super respectful. That's what I'm saying. That line seems disrespectful. It doesn't mean that uh, Morono can't win. Um, I think if you're betting, you're probably betting absolutely on Morono. Um, he's got more. He's got more talent, or excuse me, he's got more experience, uh, of course, than Gall. And um, I, I feel like you probably see alex winning a decision because gall has a tendency to get tired in the in the latter rounds and that's probably where you see alex win um that fight uh if gall doesn't do something early and so um uh, so i i understand that uh that that he he is a favorite in that fight uh again i just think that that's a little bit disrespectful at least where the line's sitting in terms of the game plan for Williams in that fight, what what was kind of the the think in that fight? Did you guys want to keep it standing? Did you guys want to kind of test the jujitsu? What what was the game plan there? 
Uh, we wanted a blend. So um, uh, we felt like Jordan, Jordan had a good, absolutely has good power in his hands and can, can put anybody out. I mean, he did that with Gregory. Gregory's yeah. come on. You've seen Gregory, and that was a weight class above where Jordan's fighting at, by the way, at 85 instead of 70. And we wanted uh, – Jordan's a really good wrestler. And so um, he hasn't shown that in, in his last couple of fights, but that kid can wrestle his butt off. Um, and he obviously has power in his hands, and um, we wanted him to blend, and and we never got to that point. I mean, we got clipped early, and uh, and there was no blending. And so, um, but we absolutely wanted to see him blend on him. I could see Morono doing that, and I could see that being a great game plan to call. By the way, is to make him do the um, up and down game because the up and down game is the hardest thing in MMA, cardiovascular wise. And if Gall has a tendency to get a little tired and flat on his feet toward, you know, the, the middle of the second round into the third round, um, that that's a good game plan. And I, I actually would probably expect that game plan going into this fight is that they're going to mix that up a little bit and work the up and down because Morono has shown that if he does that or where, how, wherever the fight goes, he's going to fight for that entire time and, and keep bringing it. And not that Gall won't, it's just – He's kind of he's kind of shown that he gets a little flat on his feet when he starts to get tired. So um, uh, that that I absolutely could see um, Alex going to a victory by doing that if in fact it gets uh, to that duration. But you know I see I see Gall though being a tough out for that first round and a half. I absolutely agree with that analysis as well. I will say this about Jordan. A very good showing against Ian Gary before that uh, ultimate uh, uh, punch that put him down. But that was a, uh, I think he was surpassing a lot of people's expectations, especially considering the odds going into that fight. Very good uh, output from him and ability to really put it on Ian Gary there. Uh, but just uh, a bad luck of the draw in terms of getting caught there at the end of that first round. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. We got Brendan Allen going up against Chris Curtis in terms of odds. Obviously, heavy chalk here on Brendan Allen at minus 310. Plus 275 is the return on Chris Curtis here. Uh, I love Brendan Allen in this spot, and I truly believe that he's deserving of that minus 300 price tag. Now, I'm a big Chris Curtis fan. How can you not be 30-plus fights before finally making it to the UFC? Pretty damn good track record as well. In the PFL, his only losses were to the PFL champions, Magomed Karamov twice, and then obviously that Ray Cooper fight. Uh but he was obviously able to pull off a, a big upset victory in his UFC debut against Phil Haas. Uh, you know, he, he got touched up for about three and a half minutes before finally finding that button on Phil Haas and getting him out of there. I just think he's making a mistake taking another fight at 185 pounds when he's a 170 pounder truly because his bread and butter, in my opinion, is his boxing game. For him to be successful, he needs to get that uh, that those hands going. But uh, with the size disadvantage he's going to be having here against Brendan Allen, not to mention the switch stance uh, scenario that we have here, we saw Brendan Allen used that perfectly in his last fight against Puna Hale Soriano where he was just ripping body kicks to, 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 to Puna there and really made him pay. I think we could see could see a similar game plan here from Brendan Allen in terms of staying away from Chris Curtis and trying to stay away from that power and just rip kicks. Uh, you know, if it does get a little bit too close for comfort, I do uh, trust Brendan Allen to be able to secure takedowns here and that's really his bread and butter. His Brazilian jiu-jitsu, as we've seen in the past, is very nasty, and he has a good top pressure that he should be able to implement here on Chris Curtis. So um, historically speaking, Brendan Allen, very durable outside of that Sean Strickland fight, but in my opinion, Sean Strickland is on another level with his striking compared to what we get from Chris Curtis, uh, and that should be enough here for uh, Brendan Allen to, uh, I think he grinds him out over 15 minutes, keeps him at range when he's able to, 
or drags this fight to the ground when he gets a chance and he goes the full 15 minutes here because Chris Curtis is a very tough out, tough veteran, fought the who's who on the regional scene. Uh, but I think the Cinderella story uh, unfortunately ends tomorrow night and he should go back down to welterweight where he'll definitely find more success. What are your thoughts on this fight between uh, a 185 pounder and a 170 pounder here in Chris Curtis? Well, I think, um, wasn't Alan supposed to fight Tavares? Yeah, he was supposed to fight Tavares. Yeah. He was actually supposed to fight somebody else as well, uh, Roman Delizze as well. Uh, okay. But both those guys pulled out and in steps Chris Curtis on short notice. So I think I think with, with Brandon Allen, I mean, let's not forget, he's fought and won the UFC. I mean, I, I, I looked at his record just now, and he's... Uh, He's five and one in the UFC. <laughs> That's hard to do. Only loss so, against Sean Strickland, right? Like Strickland, again, yeah, respectable loss and, as well. And so um, the kid obviously is is super talented. I watched him come up through the LFA ranks. Um, he's uh, he's pretty well rounded, and um, I think there's absolutely going to be a size advantage there. Curtis obviously pack, uh, packs a little bit of a punch. Uh, he showed in his last fight. Um, Haas, unfortunately, got defensively out of position uh, there, and that's what happened to him. Um, but uh, kudos to Curtis. I mean, uh, especially in your debut against Haas. Haas is not an easy out. That is that is a fight that's like, hey, man, welcome to the UFC. Uh, can you can you earn your stripes? And so, <laughs> you know, kudos to him to, to pull that out and, you know, his durability and then also uh, his poise to go get that. And so, but even with that said, I think, um, I mean, let's again, Allen's five and one in the UFC, and he's faced uh, some tough, tough competition to get to five and one. Um, I absolutely see Allen winning that fight, and um, I think you can put your money on that for sure. I like it. I like it. We're up against the clock here, so we'll try to get through these next four fights as quickly as possible so you can get back to your pheasant hunting and, and father-son experience that you have going on this weekend, which I'm sure you're very excited about. So next up, we actually have veterans here. Clay Guida going up against Leonardo Santos. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 180 for Leo Santos and plus 160 to return on Clay Guida. Um Leonardo uh, Santos actually turns 42 years old in February, and uh, Clay Guida hits 40 in about four days. So it's an early birthday gift, hopefully, if he's able to walk away with both of his checks this weekend. Unfortunately, I just don't see it happening, man. I'm a big Clay Guida fan, but I think that Leonardo Santos hasn't been pretty much everywhere here. Uh, Guida, obviously, when he's at his best, he's able to land takedowns and just really put a pace and a pressure on you. Uh, but I'd be very surprised if he looks to take this uh, highly, uh, super high-level BJJ black belt down in Leo Santos. And then on the feet, you know, he can jump around and do all he wants but i think that he's going to start to get picked apart by the kicks of leo santos and even the uh the long range striking that he's been able to put some guys out with kevin lee and obviously stevie ray most notably uh you guys have a, a little bit of a tie you guys had J uh, grant dawson go out there uh, uh obviously grant dawson of glory mma but i'm sure again you and james are our buddy yeah. buddy i'm sure you guys help each other in terms of breaking those fights down uh i thought leo santos gave him the toughest fight to date you know grant dawson really had to work for that win and luckily enough he was able to get that uh, buzzer beater knockout i saw the scorecards they released for that they actually did have grant our two judges had grant dawson up to nothing but i thought there was a case that you can make for leo santos in terms of stuffing those takedowns and getting his own damage off as well um great takedown 
takedown defense as well. 89% takedown defense here from Leo Santos. So I'll be surprised if Guido lands takedowns consistently here. And then on the feet, I think Santos will just pretty much have him beat. I got Santos. Santos inside the distance as well. I think we could see a possible club and sub situation, something that Clay Guida has succumbed to in the past. Uh, and yeah, I, I love me some Leo Santos in this fight. Uh, I don't like bet, you know, no, no ageism here or anything like that. I don't normally like betting guys that are 40 years and older, uh, but I feel like when you have two 40 year olds here, uh, Leo Santos is still showing that he's uh, sipping on the fountain of youth with some of the performance he's been having as of late. Uh, I think he has Clay Guida covered here personally. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, so, you know, uh, with Kraus and I, uh, obviously I trained Kraus for a long time and um, what an amazing young man he is and, and he's becoming uh, an amazing coach. That's something that um, I'm proud of too because, uh, you know, Kraus is part of my lineage and, uh, and you know, I'm super proud of what he's done. Obviously, when Grant Dawson fought Santos, uh, Kraus and I talked about that. Uh, we were scheduled to fight Santos. Alex Hernandez actually was scheduled to fight ah, yes. uh, Santos. And so um, that's uh, he pulled out, and then we got a short-notice fight, obviously. Mike Whedon. Um, correct. And so um, – but the the Santos, it, I think it's just too much for, for Guida. I think the – I think the – what you just hit on is that, you know, Santos – I mean, Grant Dawson is a crazy good wrestler. Uh, the kid is talented, especially when it comes to grappling. And um, we saw the troubles he was having with with Santos. Um, if Grant Dawson doesn't finish him on the ground there, Dawson probably loses that fight. And so, um, you know, uh, and, and that's at what you were just saying at, at 40 plus years old, right? And so he's super talented now he's going and he was just going against grant dawson who's a young little stud coming up you know and so now now you're kind of like even even here and then when you take skill set uh of course you can't you can't ever count clay out of a fight because uh the guy's a savage <laughs> so um but i i think there's there's just way too much um isn't isn't one of the odds uh on sub, a sub for Santos being like 500. I am super glad that you brought that up, Mark, because that is definitely one of the the, the props that I'm going to be hitting for this. Uh, it was plus 500 early in the week. Right now it's sitting at... Um... Uh, plus 320, plus 450, depending on what your bookie is. Uh, I, I think even not being that gritty, even just taking the inside the distance at plus 205 is a decent spot as well because there could just be, you know, he, he trusts his power so much nowadays that he might just look for that uh, ground and pound rather than trying to grab a uh, grab a neck in the spot. Um, I think I think the biggest thing is uh, um, I think you see Santos potentially drop Guida and um close in and that's potentially where that that sub happens and and that money right now is sitting um you said what was it 320 plus 320 yeah plus 320 yeah i could see at plus 320 um that that being a nice little bet there um obviously it's it's high for a reason because that's tough to uh tough to to hurt clay that's one of the things that's i could see him doing a lot of damage on the ground though uh santos and so i guess santos is not for sure in that but you might want to look into that sub uh that sub odds for sure 
I like that as well. One reason I kind of go for the inside the distance rather than a specific uh, prop here, uh, Tyron Woodley against Darren Till. I had Tyron Woodley by knockout, and he goes out there and pulls off a freaking dart stroke. Who expected <laughs> Tyron Woodley to pull off a dart stroke in that fight? So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's why I'm like, you know what? Let's not get too greedy. Let's go with the inside the distance no matter which form it comes from. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Jimmy Crude going up against Jamal Hill. In terms of odds, we got minus 160. Uh, yeah, minus 165 for Jimmy Crew, plus 145 for Jamal Hill. Pretty binary fight to break down here. Jamal Hill wants to keep this fight on the feet. He uses his range pretty well. I still feel he's a little green at times. Uh, some of his technique is a little bit poor, uh, but it's been working out for him. His size, his athleticism, his explosiveness at times is uh, kind of bailing him out of bad positions. And then on the flip side, you got Jimmy Crew very nasty on the ground if he's able to get the fight there. And I do believe he should be able to get the fight there. I'm not 100% sold on his wrestling, which is why I'm ultimately not betting Jimmy Crew here. But I do think he should be able to get this fight to the ground you guys obviously very familiar with jimmy crew with anthony smith obviously being his last fights uh what can you tell about this matchup and and who do you think ends up winning personally crude by submission round one is what i'm saying how do you got this one you're saying crude by submission round one yes sir um well i think hill is a talent obviously i, I watch this division pretty closely because i watch all divisions closely but um you know, we with Anthony Smith being my one of my fighters, um, I, I've watched Hill, and, and of course we fought Crew recently. And so, uh, Hill's loss to Craig was largely because he kind of invited himself into uh, Craig's world, right? And mm -hmm. um, and I think people underestimate Crew's ground game. I, I don't, I don't studying him watching watching him fight and then studying him to fight him anthony smith fight him um i was actually until i did my research like the full research i have to do as a coach um i think i i underestimated his ground game a little bit and so uh but i didn't obviously going into the fight so um we uh but the kid's powerful he's young he's hungry um, I don't believe he's fought since he fought Anthony, right? No. Am I right yeah, about that? That's correct. <laughs> so um, he's hungry. He wants to. He wanted to make a statement on us. I mean, he wanted to go out there and, and make a statement on Anthony. And um, and the the kid is talented. He is. He's a hammer. Uh, Jamal's a little bit of a wild card. I am uh, not because he's not talented. He's crazy time. He's only lost one fight you know, as yeah. a pro, and so he's crazy talented. But um, I think because of that inexperience a little bit and him being a little bit of a wild card, uh, which is one of the reasons why he's got an L right now, because he kind of invited himself into the lion's den, uh, per se with, with Craig. And, um, I, I just see, I feel like crew wins this fight. Um, I, I think, I think he's, he's more well-rounded. He's got power. He's really good on the ground. Um, unless Jamal catches him with something weird, um, I, I I don't see Crute losing. But the one thing I would say about this fight that I don't have the answer to this is if Crute hasn't trained with somebody like Hill preparing for this fight, I could see why Jamal could take this fight and win. Because here's the thing. You're going to go in there, you're going to see this long, lanky, um, uh, unorthodox style. And it's going to take two and a half rounds to figure it out. And unless you do something in that last half of that round to finish, you're going to lose a decision uh, because you haven't, you haven't put the pieces together in the training room. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's happened. I'm just saying 
if you're depending solely on my growth only and I'm only I'm only worried about me for this fight and I lost the Anthony Smith fight and I'm just I'm just preparing uh, my skills and you didn't see that unorthodox style in training um, it could be a long night for crew if that's what happened and you could see he'll frustrate the heck out of him and go on to win a, a, a unanimous decision um, but I, I I'm assuming that They've put guys in front of him like that. He's done all that. And if my assumption's right, and knowing the skill set that Krug has, I would put my money on Krug. I like it. I like it. I want to quickly get your brief thoughts on this because this is a huge uh, thing about this fight uh, in particular. Uh, the big cage versus the small cage. Who does that benefit, the grappler or the striker? Oh, uh, you're saying the big cage? Uh, well, they're going to be fighting in the small cage here. Oh, yeah, Who yeah. does the small cage actually uh, uh, benefit in this spot? Oh, uh, the grappler for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you guys sure. put a lot of stock in like the size of the cage when you guys are breaking down a fight and all that? Like, how, how much does that uh, play into your your game plan? You know, it plays a lot into it, uh, especially depending on the style of the of the fighter we have going into, you know, the smaller, bigger cage. Um, you know, we're able to use a lot more footwork, or the angles are bigger when you're trying to take guys down. Um, the the gaps are smaller or wider. Um, there's a lot that goes into that. It, people don't they all look the same on tv and especially yeah. when you have the the um outside walking panels outside the cages they look huge um yeah. but when you but when you see them and you get in there especially with the bigger guys like these 205ers in those small cages they take one and a half steps they're to the center and i yeah. know that because we've we've gone and and worked through that uh it, at factory x we have a we have the same size cage as the cage in the apex and so I, um, I know from being in the apex cage and then being in our cage that we train in daily that for the bigger guys from the about the 70 pounders and up, it's about one, one and a half step. And you're standing up from center to the sponsors on the cage. And so that matters. There's a there's a lot that matters there for sure. I'm sure that mattered a lot when you guys had Dustin Jacoby go up against Iwan Kutalaba and just trying to keep them, uh, kind of trying to keep them off of you. But uh, yeah, uh, I would have preferred the bigger cage in that yeah, fight for sure. I'm for sure. sure. I'm sure. And, and right, we won that fight, by the way. We won yeah, that fight, by the way. I, I do agree with you, but again, yeah. it is what it is. This that is the crazy game that we play. That this is the crazy game that we play, Mark. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. The co-main event. We got two fights left here, and then we'll get Mark back to his pheasant hunting. Uh, we got two great strikers here between Rafael Fiziev and Brad Riddell. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 120 for Fiziev and plus 110, or sorry, plus 100 for Brad Riddell. So a slight favorite for the Fiziev side. Both guys are pretty familiar with each other, former training partners over there at Tiger Muay Thai, and then it seems like Tiger Muay Thai has slowly started to fall apart. Uh, Fiziev now uh, finds his home down there in Florida at Sanford MMA. Brad Riddell obviously training over there with City Kickboxing with Eugene Behrman and uh, the rest of the guys over there. Uh, it was a difficult fight for me to break down pre-tape, uh, but once I ran the tape, I, I started to really like the Brad Riddell side here. Fiziev, great striker, great combinations, really loves his uh, body kicks, but it seems like he starts off hot and then starts to taper off and fighters are start, uh, able to take over there just as Bobby Green was able to do in his last fight back in August. Where Brad Riddell is almost the opposite. It's like he digs himself into a hole and then he fights out of it in the second and third round. I believe. Uh, I sorry. I I'm not sure why I thought that uh, Dober was one of your guys. He's a team elevation guy, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, but yeah, it, it shows in that fight, right? He got hurt early. He uses a, a, a wrestling to to get him out of a bad position, and I think that's a great uh, cue for him, right? Like that that shows us that he's making improvements, going from a kickboxer to a full mixed martial artist, using his wrestling uh, to get back to his feet, or using it defensively, using it to get out of bad positions. And I think if uh, 
you know, the longer that this fight goes, I think that Riddell, with his patience and waiting for his openings to uh, to to throw the kitchen sink, which is pretty much what he does in all of his strikes, I think he'll be able to ding up uh, Rafael Fazeev in the second and third rounds here. I think a third round finish for Del Riddell is very live in this spot. He's managed to put guys on wobbly legs in the third round consistently. We've seen Fazeev really start to slow down and guys really start to catch up to him. Luckily, he's been able to survive. I just don't think he's been uh, fighting a heavy striker like uh, Brad Riddell, and I think that Riddell will be able to find that. The interesting thing here, I'm not sure if you've ever had this before, Mark. Have you ever had a set of guys who have trained together that ended up going on and fighting each other? And did you see any type of disparity in terms of how it went in the training room compared to how it went, to, it went in the actual cage? Um, well, for example, I, I trained Chris Camozzi, who ended up fighting Dustin Jacoby. Chris Camozzi yep. won, and then Dustin Jacoby came and now obviously he's been training with us forever and so um i've seen it that way and then i've okay the i've seen way. i've seen it kind of the flip way where you see um them fight and i've seen that a lot actually where we fought guys and then they come train with us and sometimes you're like holy shit, how do we beat that guy and sometimes you're like <laughs> i understand how we beat that guy so it just kind of depends um yeah but uh um you know about this fight um one of the things i would say is uh Fazeev is so crazy talented and fast uh and powerful on his feet that um he's a scary dude to be in front of um and the thing that i think that we have to put it remember here is Riddell is super hittable he's super hittable and so Fazeev does kind of taper off a little, but he doesn't taper off a lot. So it's not like he's losing a ton of speed and power in the third round. Um, he's not flat-footed either. That's the other thing is he might be slightly less than he was in the first, but in the first, he's a freaking powerhouse. And yeah. so uh, now Riddell is got one hell of a chin. He's got a ton of experience. He um, obviously comes from uh, some striking background, of course. He comes from a great gym. They both do. And um, uh, I think I think the other thing, Fazeev has shown that he can grapple too. He he's not a he's not um, terrible on the he's not just a striker. And so gra obviously Riddell can grapple, and he's he's gritty and grimy, and he can he can he can uh, if he can withstand that 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 power and, and speed of Fiziev, I think, um, uh, <laughs> I, I gotta be honest with you. I, I think I'm taking Raphael in this fight. Um, and I, and I think I'm, I'm not big on calling what, what I think it's going to be, but I think he's going to, I think he kicks so well, um, from low mid to high or high mid to low or however you want to call it. I call it climbing the ladder, like he's climbing the ladder well. He kicks so well, I could see him putting him out with a head kick from uh, throwing low stuff and body body stuff and fainting and then um, getting getting Riddell's guard to move. And once he starts moving that guard, you get hit with one of those kicks. I think he potentially could put him out. And so um, I do think, though, um, uh, uh, Raphael needs to implement some type of takedown. It doesn't need to be an actual takedown, though. So, like faints, um, change levels. It, it needs to even be grabbing you and missing the actual the actual return to the mat, but putting in your head that I'm not going to just stand in front of you and strike only, so that he can use the faint of the takedown 
to just make his striking that much better. And so um, I think if he can implement some type of takedown that um, he he's in that fight and he can win that fight, uh, I'm going with uh, Rafael in that fight. Uh, first one I feel like we've legitimately disagreed on, but I'm very much looking forward to seeing how that one plays out. And I'm sure you are as well with your Muay Thai background. I'm sure you're very much looking forward to seeing how that fight actually plays out, especially if they look to just strike with each other for 15 minutes. All right, main event time. Shout out to the 130 live viewers that we currently have. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then obviously follow my guy Mark Montoya on Instagram. The link to his IG is in the description below. We'll show my man some love. All right, Mark, we're here at the main event. Rob Font against Joe say Aldo uh in terms of odds we got minus 145 for Rob Font plus 125 to return on Jose Aldo so uh slight underdog money here on Jose Aldo and I know this is called the ultimate weigh-in show we haven't talked about the weigh-ins once but personally I think it's because everybody looked great on the scale I had no issues except you know Jose Aldo normally looks like a skeleton every time he jumps onto that scale but it seems like he has that weight cut finally mastered is he well he made championship weight once when he fought Pierre Jan, but I don't know how many more times he has that cut left in him considering the type of uh career that he's had and that cut down to 145 pounds used to be brutal as well. So the fact that he's really rejuvenated his career and, and his lifestyle to make that 135 pounds shows you his commitment to this game. We got a career best performance out of him last time around where he was able to land 114 strikes on Pedro Munoz. Uh, and I kind of did some data collecting and I and I put together all the numbers that uh, Jose Aldo was able to put up in his 25-minute fights, fights that actually go a full 25 minutes uh, since his WEC days. And he averages 77 strikes uh, per 25-minute fights. Uh, and then he was able to put up 114 in 15 minutes against Pedro Munoz. I think that was more so with the style of Pedro Munoz, right? He's kind of just plodding moves forward, really looks to take your head off, which leaves him to get countered and hit up, uh, just as uh, Jose Aldo was able to do in that fight very well. Rob Font, on the other hand, coming off uh, his first ever headlining spot against Cody Garbrandt, where he's able to pick him apart over uh, 25 minutes and come home with a decision victory. Uh, but we saw a weird game plan from Cody Garbrandt there, trying to take the fight to the ground, really not fight to his strengths. But again, he's trying to evolve as a fighter especially since uh you know the, the the downturn his career has kind of taken since the tj dillashaw fights um I am scared as hell to put money against Jose Aldo. Like I, I've bet him in the past before. I won a ton of money on him. I was surprised that he was an underdog to Jeremy Stevens a couple of years ago. Managed to catch on that, cash on that as well. And I feel like that could potentially happen this weekend as, uh, as well, where people are putting too much stock into the fact that this is a 25-minute fight. And we may not even see it go 25 minutes. This guy's body work is nasty. It seems like his boxing has been getting better over the last couple of years as well. Uh, but, man, I, I, I really think that this could be – not a passing of the torch type of moment, but I really think that Rob Font will start to come into his own. As long as he can survive early here, I feel like he should be able to pick up rounds three, four, and five, where we've seen Jose Aldo start to slow down. I will say that with an asterisk, though, because when you're going up against Max Holloway and Pure Jan, yeah, you're going to start to slow down to the pressure and pace that those guys are able to put on. Rob Font in his past couple of fights, he's been able to progressively increase his output as rounds have gone on, which leads me to believe that he could potentially do that here against Jose Aldo. <coughs> it just depends on when Jose Aldo starts to slow down because if he doesn't i could see him you know obviously being the faster of the two landing uh devastating combinations great leg kicks obviously great body kicks it's super tough fight for me i'm not touching this fight i'm not putting my money anywhere near this fight but in terms of a, of a prediction i'm putting a gun to my head i'm reluctantly going with rob font i think it's like 51 percent rob font 49 percent uh jose aldo uh but i just i i this is a true moment for us to see whether Rob Font is the goods and he's ready for that top three, top five. Uh, and then Jose Aldo, whether he still has that 35 years old and if he can find his way to a title shot once again. I'm going Rob Font. Mark, the stage is yours. 
who do you think wins this uh, 135 pound uh, main event tomorrow night? Uh, so as we finish, I just want to thank you for having me on here and thank the people that are tuning in. Uh, those people, obviously, it's me on Instagram. So if you reach out and, and uh, <laughs> DM me or whatever, you're getting it actually from me. So reach out, say hi. I'd uh, love to speak to you guys. Um, about this fight, I would say uh, Aldo's a legend and he's created a legacy. And I think we all respect him for that. Um, and uh, what an amazing career he's had up to this point is almost at 40 fights as a pro um he was uh i was just reading some fact and it said that you know um aldo was beating some of the best in the world um back in the day while font was still coming up delivering pizzas right <laughs> and so um yeah. i thought that was kind of interesting when i was reading that <clears throat> the thing about this is as at, father time's a bitch um as as you progress if your game is strictly on speed and timing um father time takes that away with you not away from you and aldo for example has um gonna always have power he's as you get older you don't lose the power but you do lose lose the speed and timing He's still fast, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, like, I think sometimes we forget how freaking good Aldo was in his prime. That dude was crazy good. And um, killing the legs of these guys, how fast he would kick, working working kicks from um, top to bottom. I mean, the guy, and he's, he's in his prime, was unbelievable. Um, his takedown defense as well was amazing. Like, nobody could get him down. Correct. I did an interview today earlier and they were saying, you know, people are comparing him a little bit to um, Randy Couture and to Glover Teixeira because of the age and, and the re, re, uh, insurgence of his career, like those two that I just mentioned. The difference, though, there is that Couture and Teixeira have really good grappling games. Uh, they're really good top pressure guys. So, so they eliminate um, the speed and the power being their their one superpower they eliminate that and they they use their efficiency on the ground and their top control to then go on to win fights that way and that's one of the reasons why i think they were able to have a re uh uh, uh they were able to come back as in later in their careers and have this uh these victories that we've seen them do in their 40s so with aldo for example because speed and timing are, are are one of his superpowers, he doesn't have the same speed and timing. He's still fast. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. He still has power. He's still going to give Font some troubles uh, when they fight tomorrow. That's going to be an incredible fight to to watch. I think us as fans win on that one because uh, we get to watch it and and watch these two warriors go at it. Um, Font's the best jabber uh, in, in, in MMA. I mean, besides Holloway, I think Font is one of the best jabbers that I've seen. Um, because what here, here's the strategy. Font, has, Font is so good at throwing a jab and getting you annoyed with the jab that all, it plays into beating Aldo, in my opinion, because Aldo is going to get annoyed with the jab and he's going to want to hit him hard back. Font is the best at making you miss and countering you hard off of your misses. And so I think that's where uh, Font 
beats Aldo in that in that piece and the speed and the and the timing issue that you have as you as you get older I think font picks them apart that way and I call it a draw some people call it a pull but when you throw a jab and draw off that make him miss and then and then hit him um, I think you're gonna see that all night now Aldo is gonna be a pain in the ass for two rounds um, and he's probably gonna chew up uh, font's legs a little bit from that uh, but let's not let's not forget um, font can grapple too and so uh, a little bit of blend would go a long way for font I'm not saying spend five rounds on the ground but I'm saying a little bit of blend will go a long way and it'll even make that jab even nastier than it already is and I just see him drawing out these big strikes from Aldo and Aldo getting tired and, and font just picking him apart doing that so uh, my money's on uh, font I love it. I love it. I love the breakdown as well. That's what everybody was here for. Everybody wants to hear that technical breakdown from the coach's perspective. Uh, I'm taking font. Mark's on font as well. Last thing I want to ask you, and then I'll let you get out of here and uh, get back to your to your life. I apologize again for, for going up against the clock here. Uh, what is your most confident play on the card? If you were to put, if somebody gave you a grand and said, Mark, you have one fight, uh, odds no worse than minus 250. Who's that fighter that you're putting that money on? Um, I'll quickly start this off just to give you a second to look at it. I personally okay. have a parlay of uh, Alex Morono and Luis Smoka. I think those guys will be able to go in there and do work against Vince Morales and uh, and uh, Mickey Gall. I think those those are pretty uh, pretty safe-ish spots. I'm not calling them uh, you know the, the 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 safest of bets, but I think uh, on the entire card, I really like those spots and those matchups. So that's that's the play that I'm going with. What do you like here? I am gonna go with. Uh, Santos, so, uh, Leo, Leonardo Santos Leonardo over Santos. Clay Guida. I can't disagree with that either. I do like that spot myself as well. All right, Mark, on the back end here, anything you want to say to the viewers, and then I'll let you uh, let you go. Hey, I just want to thank you for having me on. Uh, let me know when you do this again. That was a lot of fun. Appreciate um, the time, and uh, just want to thank your your fans. You're doing a great job, man. Keep killing it. Uh, you you've got a really good MMA brain. It's impressive uh, to hear. Uh, keep keep growing and expand and doing what you're doing. And uh, like I said, if you reach out to me on Instagram, I'll uh, I'd love to I'd love to have some conversations there and uh, kind of trade back and forth there. So uh, uh, thank you for your time and and appreciate it and and uh, keep rocking and rolling. I love it. I appreciate you for your time, Mark. I know this is a, a family weekend for you as well, but I truly appreciate you coming on and doing this. Good luck on the first quarter of next year. You guys got a lot of big matchups coming up. Alexander yep. Hernandez taking on Hanato Moicano. Uh, obviously, Hajario Bonsurin against Brandon Royval. A couple other big ones in there too. I think uh, uh, I think Vince Pichel, if I'm not mistaken, is going yep. up against... Uh, Name escapes me right now. Oh, uh, Marco Madsen. Uh, great yep. matchup there as well that I'm very much yep. looking forward to. So, uh, again, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate everybody joining us as well on the back end. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then obviously follow my guy Mark over there on IG as well because we need to blow him up a little bit more. Let's get this guy's social media <laughs> game popping off and share his hunting. I I'm sure people would love to watch some uh, hunting content if you want to put put up a, a YouTube I'll channel. I'll put some up like this that. weekend. We're going to we're gonna do go. some pheasant hunting, go eat some pheasant after we shoot it. and. Uh, my buddy's got a deer tag, so um, we, like I said, we ate some pheasant and and elk for Thanksgiving. Those are two things that I harvested this year, and my family loved it, and it was amazing. So anyway, brother, I appreciate it, and it's great to talk to you, and have a great day. Absolutely. All right. On behalf of myself and Mark, have a good night. 
and I will see you guys next week. We have UFC 269 coming at you guys. Make sure you guys check out that show, and I'm pretty sure I have a pretty big guest for that one as well. Good luck on your bets tomorrow. I'll actually be doing two appearances tomorrow. 1 p.m. Eastern for the Fight Day Live channel, then 5.30 p.m. Eastern. I'm going on with my guy, Big Brady, DFS by the numbers, him and Uncle Weezy. Uh, I believe Narco Cop is going to be joining us as well. 5.30 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to be hopping on with those guys until the fight start. So make sure you guys check that out. Good luck on your best tomorrow. And I'll see you guys tomorrow as well. War, Louis Smoka, and Alex Morona. I know I got some giggles over there. Some people don't trust uh, Louis Smoka. I do. Let's see how it goes. See you guys tomorrow.